Hey guys, I'm Garrett. And I'm Jason, and welcome to the Small Town Pilgrims Podcast. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So, get ready for the truth. And also, there's James. Hey guys, welcome to episode 22 of Small Town Pilgrims. My name is Jason. And I am James. He's James. And we might put in a little intro section that may just say, also James, or something, you know. So we know. Garrett said that, uh, he told me the other day, he's like, you need to just add him in. And that way, it's okay. He gets introduced too. That's but, right. Uh, but we are here for another reviewing Romans on a sermon, not on Romans. Um, as you know, I'm taking a, a few weeks to teach some, uh, just some solid, you know, biblical theology to our church. It seems like a good time. Uh, some transition stuff going on in the church, and uh, you know, Romans is very long and been preaching it faithfully uh, felt like it was a good time to go ahead and step out and do a few more topical expositions of the sermons uh, uh, sermon wise you know not going verse by verse but really kind of going into a uh, little bit more topical side just to get some things uh, covered that I felt would be really good to have covered yeah, I think this, it's, in this time. I think it's especially been beneficial, um, you know, kind of as you and I have talked, because your work through Romans has been very well done, but also very slowly done yeah. because of the importance of the text that you've been working through. Yeah. So having a break in between is very well um, possibly beneficial for your congregation. Yeah, I think ultimately what matters. Yeah, and I and I'm and I'm hoping that too it it'll kind of maybe spark a little bit of uh you know excitement about hey let's get back into it kind of thing too when it is times to to start chapter seven you know because by the time yeah. we get to chapter eight it's going to be some good stuff. Yeah, you know, I love yeah. Romans chapter eight. It's probably one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. <laughs> Yeah, it's an awesome chapter. Um, but, uh, you know, last week preached on the importance of the gospel for the believer. Um, and this year, this this week, I wanted to go into how the church is built, you know, not just the, the physical, our physical local body itself, but also the church itself as the universal, you know, church of Christ, the church that, that you know, that Christ came to, to die for, um, how it was built, you know, and how it is properly built as we go forward in it. So first the all important, uh, awkward question. So what'd you think of the sermon? You're muted. Sorry. I thoroughly right. <laughs> enjoyed the sermon. Um, sorry, I, I'm, uh, I'm having technical difficulties here tonight because I apparently did not charge my iPad uh, in preparation to record. Fun. So I had to figure out a charger situation 
So Understood. to prevent your listeners hearing me like make a bunch of noise at my desk, yep. I muted myself. But anyway, right. um, more importantly, my thoughts on the sermon, I thought you did a great job just exposing that text first and foremost. And I think, you know, as you've said many times, even on this these type of episodes, but even your other episodes, just ultimately as a pastor, your goal is to preach the text in which you're reading from that morning even if it is a topical sermon that yeah. you're working through kind of like right now yeah. your goal is still to exposit the text for what it says yeah and so because of that i think the sermon itself was done well because it exposed the text itself but also it was a text that was centered around really what christ's church should be built upon which yeah. was this confession of peter right it's, yeah it's not Peter himself, which is kind of the misunderstanding and uh, what you expose a little bit in the sermon itself, but it's rather the confession in which Peter makes about Christ himself. Yeah. It's, it's Peter. It's really com- Peter's confession mm-hmm. of a faith in Christ as who he is. You know, it's, it's not just Jesus, our friend and teacher. He's saying you are, Christ. Yeah. And because of who Christ is, that's what the church will be built upon. Yep. And so I started it with one of my favorite quotes uh, by Spurgeon. Um, Snarky Spurgeon Spurgeon is what I call it. I love it when Spurgeon's a little snarky. And he Mm -hmm. says, uh, no Christ in your sermon, sir. Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. And I thought that was appropriate to the text. You know, um, I'm going to, let me, let me read the text for our, uh, for our listeners. Hopefully they're very familiar with it. It's, uh, Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through 19. Now hear the infallible inspired word of God. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. <clears throat> and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And we ask that God would remove the veil so that everyone could receive a revelation of what he is saying about himself in this text. And we pray that all of our believers all that are listening and all the unbelievers too would be transformed by the power of word and sanctified by it. So, Disclaimer, I've told to you beforehand, I'm telling you guys now, been fighting a sinus infection for a week, maybe some coughs, maybe a lot of water drinking, but I am on here with another pastor, which means there won't be a bunch of dead space because that's what we do. We fill up the dead space. That's right. So I I look at this in three ways. And of course, I kind of focus in on one way in the sermon, but I think I think this is three things, and I'll see what you if you agree with that. 
it's revealing of who Christ is to his disciples. <clears throat> really one of the first times in scripture we see him being really revealed to his disciples for who he is, like plainly the Christ, the son of the living God. It's also Peter's profession of faith, him saying that that's what I believe you, who you are. But then really it's also the first real mention of Christ's church. He, he's mentioning his church for the first time in, in, a, in a real way by saying, upon this rock, I will build my church. So he's saying, this isn't just you guys. Mm -hmm. This will exist after, after I'm gone, after you're gone, we're establishing a church here. So I broke it down as you like to do, as I like to do. Let's go piece by piece on this text. I think it's the best, one of the best ways to exposit is to do that. And of course we'll always pull practical things out of it, but I think we stay true to the text, you know, like we've talked about before, you know, at, at the beginning of this episode, we stay true to the text. We don't read the text and That's make right. a beeline to some fun point. We, we stay true to the text and let the text be the star and let, let Christ be the star. So first, first piece I pulled out was who do people say the son of man is? And my point was they had a several answers. So apparently they had been hearing yeah. people say who they thought he was. That's right. And, you know, I'm not exactly sure where Matthew 15 would fall in really just the order of just the ministry of Christ. But I would naturally assume that this is, just let me skim through it a little bit. Um, it seems as if this would have been after the disciples would have already been kind of sent into the world to evangelize and right. to share who Christ was. And so it's very possible. One of the reasons why they very well knew what the people were saying about Jesus is because they had been talking about Jesus to these people. Yeah. They'd been among them kind of getting some word of mouth feedback. Yes. And I think that's why he's kind of, a, I would almost say is a follow up of what's going on here, yeah. but not only that, but a teaching moment for the disciples themselves yeah, yeah. to understand truly what's going on and who he is. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting. The life of the disciples is that they really didn't know until the resurrection of Jesus. It's like they really didn't know. And we would yeah. argue that it's probably because they really didn't know until the resurrection of Jesus yeah. and yeah. the work of the Holy Spirit on their lives in uh, more of a salvatic kind of way. Yeah. Um, but we would know rightly that they were set apart for a purpose. Yeah. And we would know that God was intending to save at least 11 of them. Absolutely. So, uh, but I do think it's interesting. Some of the responses that they give here. Yeah. And he says, you know, John, the Baptist, Elijah, <laughs> uh, others say Jeremiah and one of the prophets, it yeah. gets very specific yeah. and then it just gets open-ended. You know, John the Baptist, you know, this other guy that's doing these who weird was, things in the wilderness. Who, the guy who baptized you. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Um, but then, he, you know, Elijah actually makes sense. You know, historically in Judaism, Elijah would make sense, though, as you point out in the sermon, most likely more fulfilling. Uh, the forerunner. In John the Baptist more than yeah. Jesus himself. Right. 
um, Jeremiah, you know, just a great prophet, uh, yeah. and one of the other prophets. And so I think at the conclusion of that, we would say is that the people thought he was a prophet. Yeah. Which would mean a man from God, a great yeah. man, but not the Messiah. So they, they were lacking in something. They recognized that he was from God, yeah. but they didn't recognize that he was God. And I think yeah. that's where the distinguishing factor is. And they were recognizing that God, the godly language that he spoke. You know, if you look at his sermons, they were always based in scriptural things. He wasn't just there's so many times that's why I like the CSB version of the Bible as my reader, because anytime that somebody quotes an old Testament scripture or another set of scripture, uh, the CSB, the guys who did the CSB, I have the Spurgeon studied edition. They make it bold. So as you're reading through Jesus and what mm -hmm. he's done and what he's saying, you see so many times when he it's bold because he's actually quoting scripture as part yeah. of his, his ministry. So I think they, yeah, I think you're right. Helpful. I think they see mm -hmm. God, godliness. Mm -hmm. They see, you know, something. Yeah. And, but here's the thing that I think becomes a dangerous tipping point with this, this, this line of thinking that, that they're getting from those people. We see it today. Mm -hmm. We see that Jesus is a good teacher from other religions. We see the heretical ways of looking at Christ as if he was a man, direct quote, he was just a man until God blessed him and put the Holy spirit upon him. Yeah. Which we know that's heresy. That's right. That's absolutely untrue. Mm -hmm. And a healthy church has to understand who Christ is in a true way. Yeah. And honestly, it, 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 going from your line of where, where we're at in this, in the, in the historical narrative that's going on, that's really why Christ sent them out. Right. Mm -hmm. to, to spread the news of, Hey, the blind are seeing the, the deaf are hearing the good news is being preached. That's talked about, about one, one prof prophetical figure. Who do you think he is? And they're missing it yet. Of course, we know that in just a, just a little bit later, the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is God is the, the, the new comforter as the second comforter comes down. Then we see that the gospel is a life changing experience right. for a lot of people. That's right. And I think that's where we're going to get to it in a moment, I believe. But there is this second nature of this confession of Peter that Christ simply says, you will, will be the one that, you know, I'm going to use to start my church, essentially. And so yeah. not only is it Peter's confession, but it's this kind of foreshadowing what he was going to do through Peter, which yeah. we see unfolding in the day of Pentecost. Yeah, it was um, almost a commissioning, right? Like, yeah, it's almost OK, and, we'll be ready, ready because you're fixing to tell the people. Yeah, and it's because I would naturally assume um, it's because God had orchestrated and created Peter in such a way that he was bold, yeah. often to his detriment, but he was very yeah. bold. Uh, Always, he puts his foot in his mouth a lot of times. Yeah, he's got he foot in mouth man's ear off. Yeah, yes. I mean, he's, he's uh, got it. But I and, think what's interesting about 
this idea and connected it to the building of the church, you know, the second thing that you exposited was, who do you say I am? So he first asked, who do they say I am? Then he asked, who do you say I am? And what I think is important about that is we look at the building up of the church is before we can rightly understand who God is, we have to rightly understand who he's not Mm. because it's easy for us to make images of God or ideas of God or preconceived thoughts of who God is. And we do that in a church setting as well. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's what's going on here. He's laying out this foundation of who these people say I am because these people are wrong. And so now he's moving to who do you say I am? And Jesus was not shocked or surprised or blindsided by Peter's response. He's not asking this rhetorical question to just to get this random answer from his disciples. He knew what would be exposed in this moment. And so um, what is said is so important. Yeah. And, And that's where we go, you know, from that point. And I also do like the fact that he does, he, he doesn't say, who do you think I am? Mm. You know, he's like, who do you say I am? So he points to the importance of also confessing yeah. that belief that they have in their heart, you know, to others or to, or even like I do sometimes to myself, you know, in, in, in prayer, you know, just a remind a reminder of the gospel and what Christ has accomplished for me sometimes in my own prayer. It, it encourages me to understand, Hey, I'm a wicked sinner and I've been mm-hmm. saved from so much. And it encourages me in that way, you know, so the confession of, of who Christ is, is also, I think very important in that state, in that question. Um, well, and then it's like, we just talked about, um, you know, very possible that this was, some form of response of them actually going out. Yeah. And so he could just be simply asking them as well, is yeah. who are they saying I am? And what do you say in response? Right. Um, and, and this is the same thing we have to kind of check in our own lives. And I think you're tied this to the corporate body of believers, yeah. which I think is rightly done. So, but it also ties into the individual that makes up the body is through our lives. And like you're saying, through our confession, who are we saying Christ is? Mm-hmm. Um, because often we live as if Christ is just a great prophet yeah, rather than Lord and Savior and Redeemer and, and yeah. all of those amazing things. We often live as if he's simply a prophet speaking positive things into our lives rather than reforming every aspect of our life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the old, uh, the old t-shirt, right? Jesus is my homeboy and, and, and he's, he's so much more than that. Then we go on to verse 16 and, you know, we've talked about Peter. He is the boldest, absolutely the boldest. He's the first to speak. And I think, you know, like you said, God orchestrated this. God knew who to bring, who to draw to Christ to be, those disciples. So it was orchestrated that there would be a a personality like Peter who would say this, but I think also, I think that, that, that Peter is actually speaking for his friends because, you know, they had to be talking, right? They had to be saying, Hey, is this, this is it, isn't it? This, this is right. So 
verse 16, uh, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and there it is. He has in one verse in this exchange, he's, he's, he's not only said something pivotal to the conversation, he said something pivotal to all of scripture. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the revealing. This is, here it is. He puts it clearly, you know, he, by saying he is Jesus, the Christ, he's saying that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, you know, Messiah who is prophesied throughout the old Testament. This is, this is who you are. We, we recognize this. And also by saying that he is the son of God, he is identifying the second person of the Trinity in, 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 in all God, all man directly in front of me. He's saying that the second person of the Trinity, God, the son is right here. And that's who you are. Sure. And you know, what's so important about this is Peter didn't often live as if he believed this. We see that even in the arrest and persecution yeah. and trial of Christ, we would see that this confession almost seemed to be only a heart matter or a head matter, mm -hmm. or a head matter, not a heart matter. Um, it's something that he internalized, but not something that he actually uh, allowed to change him completely. Mm -hmm. um, and so when he makes this confession, to me, what's so important about it is not only the confession itself, that's the most, that's so crucial, right? Uh, but what also is important about it is this reality that he may not have completely understood this yet. He may not have lived this out perfectly yet, mm. but it was a reminder that he was telling people over and over and over again that he is the, the, the Christ, the son of the living God, living God. Who's he talking about? The God of the Jews, right? He's, he's evangelizing to Jewish people. Yeah. He's saying he's the son of Yahweh. Yeah. And so it's also, um, though it's a true reality, he's also saying here that when they're going out and they're telling people who Christ is, he's doing it in such a way that would reach the audience in which he's sharing with. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying that this is the son of Yahweh. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one that we have longed for. Yeah. Um, and that's what Christ preaches throughout his ministry, especially you see it exposed through John's letter where he says that I am the sheep and I, I am the sheep cape and I am the shepherd mm -hmm. tying to David. Yeah. Uh, he says that I am the water that you poured out on the day of the, the tent, the festival of tents. Yeah. That I am the light that you would light up during this festival, that I am yeah. all of these things. And so um, what Peter's confessing here is something that he may not completely understand yet, but it's something that was so true. And, you know, us as individuals, often we have to do that same thing. We have to, as you said earlier, we have to constantly confess to ourselves who Christ is. Yeah. And not, is that not the importance of the church as well? Yeah. That we would gather together weekly and confess who Christ is because at the end of the day or the end of the week when we've been beaten down by the world around us, we need a simple 
reminder that there is one that is on the throne and yeah. he is sovereign and greater than all. And so we need this confession as a constant reminder to us, much like we looked at last week and the importance of the gospel for the believer. Yeah. We need this reminder for ourselves week in and week out that though we may not always act and live as if this is our confession, it's something that we truly confess with our hearts and our minds. Absolutely. And I think too, that what we see here is, um, though not perfect, the first example of that we can kind of see of what saving faith kind of looks like. It's a saving faith that looks at the person and work of Jesus and sees Christ, the one who is anointed to redeem the people, you know, and that, that, that is an important foundation of who establishes the church as well. That's the danger of seeker sensitive uh, movements that are filling churches with people who are not converted and altering things to fill the, fill the void, you know, foundationally the church is made up of people who believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And they have repented and they have put all of their faith in that Christ for their salvation. Yeah. And that it only well, comes through him. Well, and I think that's what's, so important about verse 17 yeah it, it says for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven but then if you can go to verse 18 and i tell you you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail and what is unfolding here is this confession is what my church will be built upon mm -hmm. and why that is so important is it's not Peter. If it was Peter, the church would have been doomed the day that he slices a man's ear off. Absolutely, he's thrown out. Or the day that he curses individuals three times yeah. in rejection of Christ. Or the moment that when he goes back to the law rather than grace with the Jewish believers and even persuading Barnabas to fall away. Yeah. If it was based upon the works of Peter, we would all be without of luck. Yeah. Just like we were when Cain kills Abel, or when Noah sins, or when David looked at Bathsheba, or yeah. in all of these examples. Um, because if it was based on another man, the church would have been a fail from the beginning, much like of all of history the church that God was redeeming historically. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, just like the promise to Abraham was not based upon the works of Abraham, the, the building up of the church is not based upon any single man, if it be Peter or yeah. if it be the under shepherd of said church. Exactly. Or the universal church. Yeah. And so, you know, that's why this is important is because when we, we see this reality that Peter was not a perfect leader and neither was any pastor then after him yeah. and neither were any pastors from our lifetime forward going to be right. But because our, the church is built upon the confession of who Christ is and who Christ is, then it will not 
it will prevail and the gates of hell will be destroyed right yeah so that's the that's the joy that's the hope we have yeah and you know looking at that verse 17 you know when it says blessed are you Simon Bar Jonah for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven you know we go back to John 6 44 where it says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. So we know that the drawing of the father is a huge part of that, that salvific effort of Christ when we're drawn unto Christ by the father. And, you know, it, 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 it begins to establish saving faith in us as a folk to, to make our focus be upon this Christ who is the center and the foundation of the church. Um, in verse 18, like you said, you know, I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's not about Peter. No. It's about the rock. What's the rock? If we go back uh, uh, grammatically, grammatically, we could say it's not about Peter. Because that, I tell you, you are Peter, is an independent clause. That's right. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. So upon this, where does that this go? This wouldn't fit Peter. Peter's a person, not a this. Mm -hmm. He's building it upon the confession of Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that is the rock that the church is built on, which is absolutely 100%. Christ. He is the rock. And isn't it interesting how a misunderstanding of this single verse has led historically the heretical nature um, of the Catholic Church? Now, we do see Catholicism kind of starting very early in church history. Yeah. uh, Very early. Uh, we would probably only deduce it away from uh, about a third generation of Peter. Um, but we don't really see the error kind of coming in until later. Mm-hmm. But this is what it's all based off of, is this idea of continuation of apostleship based upon Peter. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of it has come to focus in more on the individual rather than the confession of the individual. Yeah. And, you know, that's no different than what we do today. Right. Uh, we tend to make heroes in the faith because of what they believe in rather than, you know, the what they actually believe in being our hero itself. Yeah. And so, and I think the church can do that as well. We can yeah. do that in light of pastors that serve us and things of the such that we esteem them to a higher regard than they really should be. Um, we see that, honestly, I think I say more, in heretical churches, but we see it in, you know, solid biblical churches. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, you know, but it's something we have to fight against. It really is. And, you know, the, one of the big, I mean, one of the big verses in the word of faith movement that I've come out of is touch not the man of God. Mm. And they use that to say, you can't challenge anything he says because he's the one with the revelation, he's the one who's getting it. He's the one in charge. If you touch him, they've even, I've even heard people like 
Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, some of those guys say, um, if you talk negative about the man and God, you're going to get sick and die. You're going to lose all your money. Yeah, it's crazy, man. That's out of context for one thing. And also, not true. That's why there's a plurality of elders is the best way to run the church. That's right. And, you know, uh, I love that last piece of that verse, the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And as you heard in the sermon, that was a point at which I got a little bit more animated. Uh, even if you did listen to it on double time and it sounded like Mickey Mouse, um, uh, Mickey Mouse was a little bit more animated there in that point because we must understand that the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ. His mission will not fail. His work of salvation will not fail. And if he has established this church upon Christ, and if we establish the church upon Christ, the church will not fail in that. The yeah. church will not die. Mm-hmm. And, and you see, you know, we see it a lot um, in, you know, stats. You know, we're pastors. Of course, we look at stats. You know, that the, the mass exodus of a certain age of group of people from the church. But then you also look at what churches are they leaving? They're not leaving the solid Orthodox biblical church. They're leaving this church that establishes their church upon other things that aren't the rock of Christ, the son of the living God and what he has revealed about himself and his word. They're leaving churches that are modern and don't, don't preach the gospel. They preach, uh, Ted talks and Mm -hmm. like I used to cute sermons that maybe you add a verse here or there to make people feel good about themselves. That's what they're leaving. The people who are in Orthodox churches that are are preaching the word of God are seeing a little bit of growth in this time, you know, and, and you look at, uh, I don't know if you saw Ligonier's, uh, a recent state of theology uh, that they, that they did. Um, I mean, it was like innumerable. It, it was astronomically crazy to me that I think it was something like 63% of people who, prof- who profess to be evangelical Christians do not believe in the deity of Christ, that he was all God, all man. They believe that he was a man while he was on earth, which of course points back to that word of faith teaching that he emptied himself of all of his deity and was just a man because if he wasn't just a man doing miracles, then we can't do miracles as just men. You know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. We see, um, even Francis Chan almost go in that direction and some of his stuff lately. I'm so shocked. um, I am too, man. And I, I'm he used to be he used to be really solid, but it's it's scary watching that one video that I saw. I saw Chris Rosebro. Uh, he's Lutheran. Lord help him. Uh, but he's he's only wrong about one big thing. Lord help him. But you know, good guy. I really I know he's he's in Christ. He's a brother in Christ. But um, he was kind of breaking down that video where Francis Chan was saying that we were basically little gods, how in the world he came to that knowledge. 
is beyond me. I think he's listening to the wrong people, but, and that we're not called to live an ordinary life. I wrote an article about it on our little blog site called the extraordinary ordinary life. It just, it, it diminishes every Christian who's living a life of, like you are as a husband and a father, like I am as a husband and a father and a man. And, and we're both men trying to preach the gospel faithfully and we're not up there preaching on TVN. We're not preaching to thousands in stadiums, but we're not called to live an ordinary life. We're called to live an extraordinary life. We're not living a life in God. Well, that diminishes every, everything that Christ set his church up to do. The church points to him, not to me. The church exalts him, lifts him up, leads to worship of Christ, not to worship of me and all the awesome things that I think I can do. So, you know, I'm with you. I'm, 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 I'm quite frustrated. And of course I'm also frustrated about a lot of other things, uh, going on in, in our movement a little bit. Uh, we're, uh, we're relying too much on world systems. We need to rely on Christian, uh, biblical systems like the Bible. That's the system. Well, well, let's, uh, let's get back on track a little bit. Yeah, Cause I, I'm you on my soapbox, you put me on my soapbox. I know it's okay. Uh, I'm going to knock you off of it. How about that? There we go. Um, as we look at 19, um, you, you kind of expressed in the sermon, you, you worked through the eschatological nature of it, but then you looked at, I believe six different kind of points from that. Yes. Or was that just overall from that's an overall itself? kind of an overall. Okay. Well, let's, let's spend just a brief time in verse 19 and then let's look at that overall yeah. kind of quickly. Um, what do you, when you kind of quickly exposit verse 19 for us? Well, it, you know, as it says that, um, you know, that basically that he's given them the keys of the kingdom and whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever they loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Some people kind of push this to a limit of, uh, well, they decide what sins are. They decide who's, going to heaven and who's not going to heaven. They, they decide all these big things, which of course, you know, kind of does lead into that Catholic Catholicism kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but what he was doing was giving the apostles the authority mm. to establish how a church should be governed. And in doing that, they, these apostles did some great things. You know what they did? Yeah. They wrote, letters to the churches sure they helped them establish what elders were they helped them establish a proper order uh paul and romans helped the roman church establish solid christological doctrine that is based on the teachings of christ he helped sure. them they were establishing yeah. the church government in a way that was led by the Holy spirit. We know that, mm -hmm. but they were helping to build his church. Yeah. They weren't going against kind of, his thoughts. They were going with him. Yeah. Kind of the same mindset of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go therefore make disciples all nation, baptize and the Father, Son, and the Holy spirit, which says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Yeah. And so he didn't, he's kind of, he's not saying, <laughs> to get on chance for a minute. He's not saying that they're little gods and they can go and do it in their own power. 
but they're being commissioned by the God that is on the throne. So now go and do. Yeah. Um, and so kind of like you're exposing here is that he's saying now in my authority that I am giving you go and do. Yeah. Uh, and the understanding here is much like, um, I believe it's Philippians where it says in walking good works that was prepared before for you before the, you know, that I had prepared go and walk in good works that I have prepared for you. Yeah. Um, beforehand, and yeah. so it's the same, the same thought process here, right? Yeah. Is that Christ rightly understood that his perfect will was going to work out and he was using these individuals to do it. Yeah. And so now he's saying, now go and do it. Yeah. And so it's that balance of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility that God is choosing to use men to accomplish his will though he's empowering them to do so. Which, um, which grows right along with something I think me and you have talked about before. You know, if you look, um, I believe it's in Acts, that when Paul goes on his missionary journeys and does these things uh, with, with Silas, Barnabas, whoever he was with, that they came back to the local body that commissioned them to go, and they gave an account of what happened because they were firm believers that the church was set up by Christ and that they needed to operate in a way that, that showed that. So then that leads us to the final question. I think that would be good for us to look at is with all of this being the case, what were the six things that you walked away with on how the church is built? Okay. First for me, absolutely uh, an essential one is a firm understanding of who Christ is. Um, I think it was at this point, I kind of used this, the, the example of a shepherd and his sheep that yeah. if you go to, if you, you put one shepherd in a field and there's 10 different flocks of sheep that have all different shepherds, when he makes a call, only his sheep will come to him. Yeah. The other sheep are going to keep on eating grass because that's what sheep do. Right. But his sheep will come to him. That's why mm -hmm. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and, 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 and the, the sheep hear my voice and they know me mm -hmm. and they will come to me. Yeah. So I think the first thing is a firm understanding of who Christ is. You know, talking about soapboxes, I'll get on mine for a moment. So John MacArthur was on Ben Shapiro's podcast. Right. Ben Shapiro is a political Pundit, commentary, yeah. Yeah. essentially. Uh, he does a thing called Sunday Special. And he just interviews different people and just talks about whatever is fitting for that individual. Yeah. And one of my biggest grievances that I had with MacArthur on that podcast, which really boils down to him being um, dispensational, uh, dispensationalist, yeah. And many, many brothers fall in this camp, um, but I just have to disagree. And one of his statements was that we worship the same God of the Jews, not Jews of the Old Testament, the same God of the Jews today. Um, and we don't. And, and that's why this right here is important, is that a firm understanding of who Christ is, Christ is what? God, the Son of the living God. Meaning yep. he is the second aspect of the Trinity. He's so one he in essence. He is God himself. Yeah, he's God. He is. And 
that's what we saw in that first scripture and asking what people said about him was because what we see in that is that he's saying, I, you know, they saw him as something other than who Christ is. Mm. And uh, a true New Testament church, as you put here, is going to have a firm understanding that Christ is God himself. Absolutely. All right. So what was the second thing you see? I think uh, a church is built by sharing the truth of Christ. Um, Going back to last week, a church is built on the gospel and the gospel is centered on Christ, his work, his person, who he is, what he has done. God, man, Christ response. And I think that that is the truth. We share the truth of, of, of Christ. The gospel is preached. The gospel is shared and the lost will be found and the found will be sanctified. And this is something we do as a church as a whole, but we also do it as a church when we go out individually in our lives. Absolutely. As the body of Christ. Yes. Yes. And so, but it also has to be what we do as a body of believers, specifically uh, a local congregation, yes. wherever that may be. Um, yes. And absolutely. Kind of, as you kind of exposed to me, expressed to me earlier today was kind of even your order of services kind of moved towards that direction of yeah. preaching the gospel in every aspect of what you do. Absolutely. Uh, everything that we do as a body of believers, um, I think you rightly, as you put first, understanding who Christ is. And then naturally from that comes a sharing of that reality. Yeah. All right. So what do you got? The third thing. The third thing is probably uh, my controversial statement of the, uh, of the six, I guess, knowing Christ is revealed by the father that, that God brings those in the church to faith in Christ and we're justified by faith in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. So saving faith is the gift of God, which is given that justifies us by faith in Christ. You know, okay. and we got to understand so, that knowledge can only come from, from God himself. Yeah. So if we wanted to word this, I think a little more applicable, there would be trusting in God to build his church mm-hmm. essentially. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's kind of what you're getting at at least is that in knowing that Christ is revealed by the father, then yes, we affirm understanding who Christ is. Then we share the truth of who Christ is. And so third, we thirdly, we rightly understand that this is done by the father and being done by the father with trusting in him to do the work. Yes. And, and see, and that, that goes to, the growth track movement, yeah. the, 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 we got to grow the church in number. We've got to grow the church and all these things. So we're going to have all these different events and all these other things when really we're not building a church there. We're building an event. Yeah. And what we need to build is the church. And the Bible says that, you know, God brings the increase into the church. Yeah. And, and I've heard it said also, God also brings, the decrease into the church. So he is solid. That's right. And the reality is this church happens more outside of the walls of our local gatherings than it ever does inside. Not to not to diminish or to speak lowly of our Sunday gathering, but there's aspects of what the church is supposed to do, which kind of gets to your next point 
is doing church as laid out in scripture. It's yes. this aspect of the way that we do church that can't be done completely in a an hour and a half on Sunday morning. Right. And you know, and that does go to that fourth point, doing church as laid out in scripture. You know, I, I've I've as I've studied, as I've read up, as I've read the scriptures myself, um, talking to brothers like you, um, Pastor Luke, another brother that I talk to quite a bit, we our worship services need to be laid out and our, also our interaction with God as the church should be biblical. Mm. We should have yeah. biblical interactions with God. He's worthy of reverence and, and worship in a way that points to him. And I've, I've, I've gone through too many church services where all of the focus was on me and you know, watching American gospel, uh, Christ crucified to this evening for a little, uh, little study background for tomorrow's back to back B2B service. And I'm going to do it on Facebook. It's, it's like, it's like I'm saying in those services, no, I'm, I'm worthy. I'm the center of all of this. Christ came to die for me because I'm so awesome. That's what it is. He didn't want heaven without us. You know, those things. And, and it seems like that's kind of the recurring lyric out of every song that we say just about every time we're together. But that's the truth. We, we, we've, we built church like that, and it's not. Christ is worthy. Worthy is the lamb who is slain. That's what we're saying. And we need to give God the worship he's worthy of inside the church in our worship services outside the church as the body of Christ. Yeah. And when I was at Lighthouse, I developed a kind of a core values for us as a congregation. And, you know, four things come to my mind when you kind of explore this topic is that, that as a church, we're called to biblical worship, biblical teaching, biblical community, and biblical mission. Um, but specifically that idea of biblical worship, that means it consists of a, a practice of prayer in our services, reading of scripture, the preaching of the word, uh, the hearing of the word being preached, yes. Repentance. the singing of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, yes. administration of baptism and communion. Um, and, you know, the way that we do church is clearly laid out for us in scripture. He's, um, and it's something that we have to get behind. If it be yeah. church on Sunday morning or if it be how to live as the church among one another as yeah. well as among those of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And here, and here's the thing too. Um, biblical revelation is sufficient, but if you need help, yeah. there are great tools that you can use. One book that really stuck out to me. I know he's Presby, but look, you know, we're not dunking babies ourselves. We ain't baptizing babies ourselves. We're, we're credos here, but Ligon Duncan has a great short book on how should we worship God. And it is, it's, it's, it's a great book and it was very helpful to me. There's tools out there to help you. If you don't, you know, if you're a pastor who's struggling with this, how do I lead my church in biblical worship when we've done these modern things so often and you want to get out of it, you want to get back to a biblical base reach out, find some tools, 
do like I did. Find some pastors to help you. Other pastors who do, who who have a better understanding of it. And and then here's the key: implement some things. You know, me and you've been talking for quite a while about my specific church. How the first thing that became reformed was the pulpit. I knew I had to get the pulpit in order. I had to start preaching the full counsel of God and preaching the full word of God. And we established that for over a year. And now we've begun to establish a full biblical worship service. And my people did not reject it. Why? Because they've been hearing the Bible for over a year. And they know that we're going to stand with it. And then, and I even made the statement in my sermon, you probably heard it, that our church, my church, will be doing things biblically. Yeah. Um, next, I put being established on the foundation of Christ. Um, that talks about that foundation. You know, we want a firm understanding of who Christ is, but then we have to build everything on that foundation. And, you know, I can either build my life, build my church, build my worship on a foundation of Christ or a foundation of self or other things or popularity or growth. But anything outside of Christ is going to be sinking sand and it's going to fail. That's right. And I think an important aspect of this is understanding that even the way we do church sometimes, because it's a group of people that have yes, trusted in Christ, but rightly are sinners by nature coming together, they will not do this perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the six point making Christ the star, they won't do that perfectly either. Right. And so there's going to be moments where, you know, it's going to fall through the crack that we as individuals aren't acting as if our foundation is Christ. But if all of our service is laid out or if everything we do as a church is laid out on the foundation of who Christ is, then the moments in which we allow self to kind of twinkle back in, then what's going to happen is it's going to be revealed very, very quickly. Yes. And that's why this part's so important. I mean, it's, it almost seems it's, it almost seems repetitive because one through four is saying that we're going to be established on the foundation of Christ. Yeah. But what this, what this is kind of saying to me and my thought process when you were preaching it and as we're talking about it now, is that we're going to continue to do one through four in everything that we do. Yeah. And as we do that, it's going to become not something that we think about, but it's even the foundation. It's yeah. at the very bottom. Now, you have a very interesting uh, way of explaining uh, foundation, talking about cookies or something, yeah. sort of cinder blocks, but, you know, yeah. um, each their own in that explanation. But you're right in it, right, is that if our foundation is something worldly, yeah. then it's going to fall. But yeah. if our foundation is this continuation of Christ, 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 in every crack or every stone or every whatever it may be, then things will reveal themselves over time. It's, that's what we need. Yep. We need a foundation that's solid because we definitely will not be. That's, that's, that's that funny thing that we have, that issue that we have, right, that we're still sinners saved by the grace of Christ who are daily killing sin, fighting the old nature, and doing those things. You know what I mean? That's, that's yeah. what we're doing. That's the life that we're living. Um, 
and, and making Christ the star that 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 sixth um, is really trying to help the church understand that you know well now at our church me is the singer not the star me is the pastor not the star um you know the elders that we're fixing to establish in our church not the star yeah um the money that you put in the tithe, in the tithe plate not the star nothing we do is the star except for christ he is the focus he is the point of even of even fellowship he is the point because he had fellowship with his with his disciples and 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 he it's something that is good and it's something that he did so we we follow him in that so but yeah the reason why I think that's important to just relate back and point to is because often in church, we do things as if Christ is the star, but we tend to do them wrongly, which make ourselves the center of attention. And some yeah. ways that we see that that is so unfortunate is think about the way we, we do baptism, for example. Um, I mean, this is the South, right? And so maybe nobody's getting persecuted when they come to Jesus and salvation necessarily. And so what's happening is like grandma, you know, great uncle, you know, all of these people come to church for baptism. And I think that's great. It's a thing to be celebrated by all means. Um, But we can quickly take something such as baptism and twist it and make the individual being baptized the star rather than Christ. Yeah. But a way that we can fight against that is making Jesus the star, right? Exactly. And we do that in every aspect, right? I mean, imagine a kid getting up to quote a scripture in front of the body of believers. Um, that's the reading of God's word. It's a way it of is. worshiping together. And it's an amazing thing to see a parent train their child, a church come alongside them yeah. and aid them in that. And I think that's, that's fitting for a church service. Um, but in that moment, we can, you know, have our video cameras out oh, and definitely. have all these things. And, and that's okay, right? Um, but when we make Jesus the center, then that kid, we can, yes, thank God for what he's doing in his life, but Christ is still center. Yep. Um, and I guess the point I'm trying to make with both of those examples is we can easily make somebody else the star without realizing it. Uh, for good things, not bad things, good things. Uh-huh. It doesn't necessarily have to be this dim the lights, lights on the worship pastor and his face on the screen. You know what I mean? Right. It doesn't have to be that way. It it can happen in small ways in our churches without us even realizing it. Yeah, definitely. And so it's a constant battle against that. Well, it's a constant battle for the pastor, right? You know, um, one thing that... Uh, that David Platt uh, warned against in his sermon uh, as he asked the question, are you sinfully concerned about what people think about you as a pastor? And it's because sometimes it's easy for us to begin to try and make ourselves a star. Well, I study a lot. I do a lot of things to try and bring a really good sermon. And then, by trying to make ourselves a star, we come up with two things. We try to elevate ourselves above the message or 
we feel like we fail every time because we don't get the reaction we want, you know? And I, and I think that for people that exposit God's word from personal experience, I would say we tend to lean towards the second one more. Yep, definitely. Um, but in, the, in and of itself, a lack of faith of what God is doing through his word is us selfishly putting the attention on ourselves. Absolutely. If we realize it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the good or the, for the bad, the attention needs to be on Christ and his word and, 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 and what he is doing in our church and the firmly established foundation that he has set. But all right, man, man. you know, you normally end this out, but I'm going to take that as range from you. And I'm going to ask you one question that you don't know about. Come on okay. with it. Come on with Why? it. Why? As we, I, I have nothing else to add. So I'm curious, why is all of this important? Why in a break from a review on Romans, a preaching through Romans? I know you've kind of already led to this some, but why make this one of your topics that you're exposing to your congregation? Because I feel that in the modern way we look at things, that success has been measured by is your church growing with people? Are you becoming famous on Facebook? Are you uh, the it church that everybody wants to go to? And I don't think we should measure success in that way. I think we should measure, measure success in is Christ the center of our church? Is Christ the one who is doing the change in the people? And I want to be, as a pastor, I want to be satisfied with whoever God has led into our church. I want to pour out the gospel to them. You know, that's why we did the gospel last week. Uh, this week, you know, we did uh, the, the, the building of the church. And I want to build a church that is firmly established and set upon Christ, the solid rock, and not on anything I do, any event we have, anything anybody else in church does needs to be firmly established on Christ. And we see Christ revealed through what I'm preaching next week, the infallible inspired word of God. That's where he Sola has revealed scriptura. himself. Sola Scriptura. Yeah. And you know, that's something I think is an essential doctrine of the church is to understand how the church is even built. What, uh, what scripture are you going to be using? I've got several in mind. Um, of course, I'm going to use um, all scripture is inspired by God. Um, another one, of course, is John 17, 17. It's my favorite verse in the Bible. So, of course, I'm going to, going to use it as well. You know, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You know, so, um, but I'm taking any suggestions. So, if you got a couple yeah, thoughts, um, you can give me some. Yeah, look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Yeah. And I'll, you we'll know, talk about that off air there. 10 4. Um, all right, guys. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, we'll see if he takes my recommendation and preaches Psalm 19 next week. We'll see. So, y'all better be ready. But anyway, uh, God bless y'all. We hope that y'all are changed by this. I uh, hope that it helps you understand. And, and honestly, if you don't go to, you know, either of our local churches, we hope that you become uh, all that God has intended for you to be in your local church, which is somebody who glorifies his Christ 
glorify Christ in your church. But anyway, God bless you, and we will see you on the next episode. If you love what you hear, like, subscribe, and give us a rating. Also, share this episode with your friends. Keep up with all that Small Town Pilgrims is doing on social media. Like us on Facebook at Small Town Pilgrims. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Small Town Pilgrims. What a coincidence that they're the same. Yeah. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or suggestions, get your own podcast. <laughs> or email us at smalltownpilgrims at gmail.com. And now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.